0: Hello and welcome to this the 17th in a series of podcasts from the British Society for Haematology in which we'll be looking at a paper entitled The Diagnosis and Management of Carstmann's Disease The British Society for Haematology Good Practice Paper This podcast is being recorded on Zoom because of the ongoing COVID crisis so we'd like to apologize in advance for any loss of sound quality My name is Steve Skye, and I am Professor of Plasma Cell dyscrasia at King's College, London University. I was a founder member of the Castleman's Disease Collaborative Network and Scientific Advisory Board that drew together international experts from across the world to establish international consensus diagnostic criteria and a management template for Castleman's disease. Our archeological colleagues have informed us that 9,000 years ago, our ancestors were, in the absence of any understanding of human biology or anatomy, empirically trepanning the skull using flint instruments. This procedure appears to have been safe, as evidenced by the fact that many of these skeletons have healed skull lesions with new bone growth. Furthermore, the treatment, for whatever reason it was performed, seems to have been effective because many of the skeletons were found with not just one, but several trepanned lesions. The rarity of Castleman's disease and the absence until recently of complete or imperfect information about the condition has meant many of the procedures and interventions previously used in the management of Castleman's were empirical, performed on the basis of an educated guess or evidence from observation experience in single or small patient cohorts only. This good practice paper draws together the literature from the last seven or eight years, reporting basic laboratory science and clinical data as a first step to improving the management and outcomes for our patients here in the UK. It is now almost 70 years since Benjamin Castleman described the disease that carries his name. He identified 13 patients with enlarged mediastinal lymph node masses, most of whom were asymptomatic, and identified on routine chest X-ray with solitary masses or with two or three smaller adjacent masses present. Some of the lesions have been present for up to eight years and following resection, no local recurrence or widespread nodes seem to have recurred. Almost 20 years later, Gabler al. described the first case of this type of histopathology presenting in multiple lymph nodes. And since then, Carsman's disease has been separated into unicentric, as most probably was the case for the patients that Castleman's originally reported, a multicentric disease. Today, we consider Castleman's disease to be a rare heterogeneous group of polyclonal lymphoproliferative disorders, sharing a set of histological features that clinically overlap with hematology, oncology, virology, rheumatology, and immunology Practice and is the cause of significant morbidity and mortality. Up until 2014, the classification of Castleman's disease was based primarily on histology and centricity. In 2014, David Fagenbaum et al. proposed Castleman's disease be reclassified into six categories. The centricity subclassification of unicentric or multicentric Castleman's disease was retained using clinical examination and imaging. Multicentric disease, however, was further subdivided according to the presence or otherwise of the human herpes virus type eight or HHV8 virus. The subclassifications of multicentric carcinogens were HHV8 associated multicentric carcinogens disease caused by the HHV8 virus. The majority of these cases are HIV positive, but a proportion dependent on the geographical prevalence of HHV8 may be negative and found in association with other immunosuppressive disorders. HHV8 negative MCD was further subdivided into the POEMS associated MCD driven by a monoclonal plasma cell population of cells that are often present at very low concentration in the bone marrow or in the osteosclerotic bone lesions. About 20 to 30% of HHV8 negative MCD cases have been shown to have features of poems. Normally poems has very high VEGF levels, but also high IL-6, interleukin-6, and interleukin-12, IL-12 are also described, and may play an important role. The second HHV8 negative multicentric disease is TAFRA. This is an acronym describing the characteristic laboratory and clinical features. Namely, thrombocytopenia, anasarca, fever, reticulum fibrosis of the bone marrow and sometimes the lymph node, and organomegaly. And the third classification of the multicentric CARSMAN is not otherwise specified. This is both HHV8 and HIV negative disease. Although specific UK data is lacking, We know that Carseman's disease can affect all ages and appears to be slightly more common in men than women. Typically, unicentric disease occurs in the fourth decade, whilst multicentric disease is more common in the fifth and sixth decade. We estimate that in the UK, there are approximately 900 to 1100 new cases of Carseman's disease per annum. The unicentric Carseman's disease accounts for about 50 to 60% of all new cases and we estimate, again, that about 350 to 450 new cases of multicentric disease occur per year in the UK. And of those, 45 to 55% will be HHV8 positive associated with HIV, leaving 200 240 patients as having HHV8 negative multicentric disease. Interestingly, the incidence of HHV8 positive MCD In contrast to karposis sarcoma, which is also caused by the same HHV8 virus, has been increasing since the introduction of heart from approximately 2.3 to 5.4 cases per 10,000 patient years. Although discovered almost 70 years ago, its pathogenesis has remained unknown until recently. Unicentric disease is not well understood although follicular dendritic cell dysfunction or neoplasia has been suggested to play an important pathogenic role in up to 20% of cases. A somatic PDGFR beta gene function mutation has been identified. This seems to be localized to CD45 positive cells, most likely being a stromal cell that confers lymphocyte proliferation and survival advantages. In addition, there's been a novel FAS mutation identified in a family with both unicentric and multicentric disease, which was published in Blood Advances in 2018. This suggests an immune dysregulation order causing ineffective lymphocyte apoptosis there's been no clear association identified with any viral infections in the unicentric disease. Multicentric disease, on the other hand, is considered to be a hypercytokinemic condition mediated by the interplay of dysregulated inflammatory mediators, particularly interleukin-6. Other important pro-inflammatory cytokines include interleukin-1 and VEGF, the source of these other elevated cytokines is less clear. HHV8 is a major source of viral interleukin-8 in HHV8 positive multicentric disease and is found localized in the mantle zone and interfollicular regions. However, endogenous human interleukin-6 may also be elevated. And this is found localized in different site in the germinal center or follicular dendritic cells and plasma cells, or both. Autoimmune infectious and paraneoplastic cytokine production of IL-6 have also been implicated in this HHV8 negative variant. More recently, mTOR and the NF-kappa B pathway activation and T cell activation have been shown to play an important role in pathogenesis, which may lead to more targeted therapy. POEMS, Carciman's, multicentric Carciman's disease is the most likely being driven by the monoclonal plasma cells that have been described in POEMS syndrome. No specific diagnostic marker of Carciman's disease exists. As a first step in coming to a diagnosis, It is essential that a histological examination of an excised lymph node is essential to demonstrate the classic histopathological features. Pathologically, the shared features include atrophic or hyperplastic germinal centers, prominent follicular dendritic cells, hypervascularization, polyclonal plasmocytosis, and a polyclonal lymphoproliferation four different histological subtypes have been described. Highline vascular disease occurs in 70 to 90% of unicentric disease. Highline vascular has now been reclassified as hypervascular in recognition of the fact that it occurs in 20 to 30% of TAFRO patients. The second form of histological pathology is plasmacytic. This most commonly presents in HHV8-positive MCD, and there is a mixed variety that is reported. A plasmablastic variant, almost exclusively associated with HIV infection in these cells, is seen less commonly in that type of MCD and harbors the HHV8 virus. It is this cell that progresses to the frank plasmablastic monoclonal lymphoma. With the exception of plastic variant, all the other types of histological features can be found in all of the different clinical subgroups of Carseman's disease. A recently published retrospective review of clinical trials and real world data, suggests that whilst histology is crucial for establishing a diagnosis, there is insufficient evidence to advocate the use of histopathology to predict response to treatment and should be used for diagnosis but not alone to guide clinical management clinical examination and investigation are important for classification and prognostication of the disease presentation varies from mild constitutional symptoms to organ failure and death and treatment decisions therefore need to be take need to take into account disease severity which is based on five factors that look at performance status, and organ function, and can predict for low, intermediate, and high-risk groups. PET CT is a standard of care, but MRI can also be used to look for the number of nodal sites, the presence of organomegaly or organ infiltration, bony osteosclerosis or lytic lesions, pneumonitis or infiltration. Laboratory tests look at viral studies, including HHV8, serology is inadequate for this, you need to demonstrate antigen and HIV status. The ESR, CRP and fibrinogen can be used to measure inflammatory status, but also hematologic investigation for hemoglobin, direct antiglobulin globulin test and platelets and biochemistry for renal function, liver function and protein studies looking at hyper gamma globulinemia, hypogamma globulinemia, and the presence of a monoclonal paraprotein are important to the diagnosis. Unicentric carcinoma disease is generally asymptomatic, although occasional evidence of shortness of breath and paraneoplastic pemphigus can also be seen. This is a poor prognostic feature in unicentric carcinoma disease. Along with pulmonary lymphocytosis, but is more commonly seen in the Asian population. Multicentric carcinous disease, in contrast, is usually symptomatic and follows a relapsing, remitting course. Multicentric disease may have only mild constitutional symptoms or present with organ dysfunction, enlargement, fluid retention, autoimmune hemolytic anemia, skin rashes, carposis sarcoma, peripheral neuropathy, and cytopenias. In the latter case, hemophagocytosis is present in about 50% of patients and can account for 75% of the need for ICU support. The diagnosis of HHV8 positive multicentric Castleman's disease requires positive HHV8 by LANA-1 testing with multiple nodes and characteristic histology. The diagnosis of HHV8 negative idiopathic multicentric carcinogens is more often associated with arthritis, lupus-like symptoms, renal and cutaneous manifestations. Further clinical subclassifications of this idiopathic multicentric carcinogens is made into POEMS IMCD, TAFRO IMCD and not otherwise specified IMCD. The POEMS IMCD acronym includes peripheral neuropathy, plasma cell dyscrasia, very high VEGF, and occurs in about 20 to 30% of idiopathic multicentric cases. The TAFRO variety normally has normal gamma globulins, but is associated with severe clinical symptoms and poorer outcomes. The not otherwise specified um, subclass of idiopathic multicentric carcinins usually have hypergamoglobulins, which is polyclonal, and thrombocytosis. Other diseases that may mimic idiopathic multicentric carcinins disease need to be excluded before the diagnosis can be made. These conditions include infections from other viruses such as EBV and CMV, but other bacteria and protozoa need also to be considered, and these include TB, syphilis, toxoplasmosis gondii, and Bartonella species, which may require bone marrow aspirate and refine. Other autoimmune diseases, auto-inflammatory gene mutations are sometimes described in this disease and need to be excluded. Paraneoplastic causes such as lymphoma, follicular dendritic cells, and plasmacytoma of lymph nodes as a source of ectopic cytokine secretion need also to be excluded. Data collection for Castleman's disease has been hampered by limited collaboration an absence of registries or tissue biobanks to centralise clinical data and biospecimens, and the lack of a WHO classification identifier. An ICD-10 code that identified six subtypes was assigned for Castleman's disease in October 2018 for use in the USA, based on the disease extent, resectability, and an association with other conditions. During the last 18 months, we have been in discussion with the WHO to introduce a new ICD-10 code, which will be the ICD-11, if it's accepted to be published in 2022, which will have nine categories and should significantly enhance our ability to follow this disease. The rarity of Carstin's disease has meant that literature contains only reports of single patients or small cohorts with no long-term follow-up. More recently, basic translational research and agreed consensus international diagnostic criteria has facilitated a better understanding of the conditions and improved treatment and management over the last eight to ten years. Unicentric Castman's disease is often identified incidentally or as a result of organ compression and dysfunction. Some patients are unamenable unamen- to complete surgical nodal excision for technical reasons or due to patient comorbidities. A period of observation to assess the pace of progression may be warranted initially in asymptomatic individuals with some lesions being reported to remain stable for up to 14 years. Alternative options for those not suitable for surgery or for whom total nodal mass resection is not feasible All those who have relapsed disease includes radiological vascular occlusion. These lesions in in unicentric disease are often extremely vascular. And radiotherapy if the nodal mass is in a critical area. And sometimes uh, responses have been reported with rituximab or or short courses of chemotherapy. Such treatments however are only effective in 50 to 75% of patients. For most patients, complete surgical excision is probably curative. Multicentric disease, however, provides a challenge. Most patients with multicentric disease in contrast to unicentric disease do describe symptoms and require intervention, but not all. In HHV8 positive multicentric disease, most of the patients will be found to be HIV positive and all of these should be treated with heart therapy in the first instance. Other antiviral therapy has seen high response rates, but progression-free survival is short, at six months. The use of rituximab is effective, regardless of the HIV status in HHV8 positive disease, and works by killing lymphocytes where the HHV8 virus resides. Care needs to be taken because the use of rituximab can sometimes attenuate KS exacerbations. Liposopal, somodoxorubicin or etoposide can be added to rituximab in severe cases where there is evidence of life-threatening organ failure or poor performance status, or if the disease is refractory or associated with progressive organ failure despite treatment. The low response rates and high salvage rates with rituximab retreatment makes it difficult to justify the use of maintenance. The use of rituximab with or without etoposide seems to reduce the risk of HHV8-associated lymphoma. Poems, multicentric, Castleman's disease presents with prominent peripheral neuropathy and osteosclerotic bone lesions and benefits from standard antimyeloma therapy, including in selective patients, autologous stem cell transplant. Little data of the optimal treatment in those without bone lesions is available, but it has been shown that they will respond to standard antimyeloma chemotherapy, whilst those who have elevated interleukin-6 may benefit from siltuximab or rituximab, but data is again limited. In HHV-8 negative, idiopathic, multicentric castments, treatment can be very challenging. Many modalities are reported in the literature, but issues with the diagnosis, treatment schedules, follow-up and a lack of any licensed drugs in this disease has hampered attempts to standardize management. The use of a severity score first proposed by Van Rie at an international evidence-based consensus treatment guidelines for International Multicentric Castments and published in 2018, is helpful when making decisions about when to intervene. Siltuximab is the only licensed agent for HHV8 negative, HIV negative, idiopathic, multicentric castments in the UK, Europe and the USA. And is recommended as first-line treatment for patients presenting with both severe and non-severe idiopathic, multicentric castments. But patients with only mild symptoms who are stable or progressing only slowly may benefit from a limited course of rituximab. In the phase three siltuximab study, 34% of patients had durable symptomatic and tumor responses of greater than 24 weeks. A follow-up of this initial phase two and phase three trials used in siltuximab has shown the efficacy and safety of long-term use. Interestingly, responses are not related to the level of circulating interleukin-6, which should not therefore guide treatment. But inflammatory markers do appear to predict response and those with high inflammatory markers have the best siltuximab responses. Siltuximab is well-treated and side effects are, are slow even with long-term use and seem to be limited to hyperlipidemia, pruritus and mild thrombocytopenia. In severe disease, siltuximab should be given weekly times four in combination with steroids and the patient clinically and laboratory monitored for response and organ function. You need to remember that once interleukin-6 has been given, IL-6 monitoring is unpredictable for about 12 to 18 months afterwards and cannot be used to monitor the response of the patient. Tumor response is also sometimes delayed following interleukin-6, and inflammatory markers will demonstrate prompt responses if it is effective. Rituximab may be considered as an alternative first-line treatment for non-severe and a second-line treatment in IL six failures, although it's not licensed in this indication, many therapies have been given in non responders with progressive organ failure. These include steroids, calcineurin inhibitors, mTOR inhibitors, other antibodies, and lenalidomide and bortezomib. There is evidence with limited duration, single agent or combined chemotherapy for responses, but. This is only likely to occur in 50 to 75% of patients so treated. Data on maintenance is limited and generally given on an ad hoc basis. Only now is long-term data becoming available from the Accelerate observational study. For unicentric Carsman's disease, five-year progression-free survival, treated with uh, surgical resection is 98% and may well be uh, curative. Patients need to be followed over because of the risk of development of lymphoma and f- follicular dendritic cell sarcoma, both of which have a higher incidence in this patient group. HHV8-associated multicentric Castleman's disease has been significantly improved with the use of rituximab. Pre- Rituximab era data suggests that five-year overall survival was 50 to 60%, this has now risen to greater than 90%. Mortality occurs from malignancy, infection and progressive organ failure. HHV8 negative, idiopathic, multicentric carcinomas has improved with the introduction of siltuximab. A study from 2010 in the Mayo Clinic used a conventional treatment suggested that IMCD had a median survival of 65% at five years. A more recent study by Satanga et al in 2020, retrospectively reviewed the outcome from a cohort of patients using siltuximab and showed five year survival of 96%. More research is needed in this condition to identify dysfunctional cells given rise to it, why responses to Siltoximab are not related to the IL-6 levels, what the optimal treatment is in the relapsed refractory setting, and more research is needed to identify the role of maintenance and the patients who are most likely to benefit the appropriate dosing, the scheduled protocols that need to be used. In conclusion, I would say success is not a journey, but a destination. This, the first UK good practice paper on the management of carcinogens disease is intended as guidance for UK clinicians, providing the first step in our vision to establish a UK carcinogens disease network. We believe the use of the agreed diagnostic criteria will facilitate timely diagnosis, reduce the use of inappropriate treatments and improve our understanding of the biology of carcinogens disease, thereby improving management of our patients here in the UK. We've already started building a patient registry, establishing a multidisciplinary board to facilitate patient diagnosis, and creating a website for patients, clinicians, and researchers. Longer term, we would hope to be able to provide a tissue biobank, but all this will require everybody in the UK to collaborate, communicate, and cooperate, both nationally and internationally. Discussions are already underway with our European colleagues, in France, Spain, Italy, and Norway, and with the Carseman's Disease Collaborative Network in Philadelphia. In conclusion, therefore, I'd paraphrase Henry Ford. I believe that coming together with the British Society of Haematology to produce these guidelines has been just the beginning in the establishment of a UK Carseman's Disease Network. Keeping interested parties from the UK together going forward will represent progress. And working together with colleagues in the larger UK haematology community, the CDCN and the EU will be the measure of our future success. Finally, I want just to thank you for finding time to listen to this podcast. I hope you find the Good Practice paper interesting and that unlike our Neanderthal ancestors, it provides you with a sound knowledge-based act as a platform to improve the UK's capability to better manage and improve outcomes for patients with carcimens. Lastly, I'd invite you to visit the British Society for Haematology website at b-s-h.org.uk slash guidelines, where you can listen to more podcasts from the British Society for Haematology about various national guidelines. Thank you very much for listening.